Hello and welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast, episode 99. What? <laughs> I don't even know how to say that word without sounding like a clown. <laughs> uh, the Claim the Stage podcast is all about public speaking and we help we aim to help women to build the skill to feel more comfortable and to get on stage and be heard. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also an author, speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And before I introduce today's guest, I want to say that I have an announcement. I am going to be taking a little break from the podcast for the summer. And today, this episode is going to be my last episode until September. I'm going to keep you in suspense for episode 100, The Big Return. So like most TV shows and other things that have seasons... I'm going to be taking a break and then coming back. And I know this this is actually my two-year anniversary of starting Claim the Stage. And if someone said two years ago that I would have 100 or 99 episodes and be able to interview so many amazing people and share so much knowledge and insight and stories through the podcast, I would have... I would have kind of been surprised. I would have said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that many episodes. I don't know if I have that many things to say. But as I found out, as the podcast got going, there's a lot to say on this subject. There are a lot of people who dedicate their life to improving communication and connection between people. And I've had the pleasure of talking to a lot of them. And I'm looking forward to having more of them on the show. I'm looking forward to switching up some of the format of the podcast going forward and adding more different types of episodes. I want to keep the Q&A stuff. I want to keep the interviews and add some new special stuff too. So I'm a little bummed out to have the summer off, but I'm also looking forward to coming back with a new creative edge and a new look at this cool resource that I get to bring to you each week. So I hope you all have a really amazing summer or if you're on the other side of the world, winter (laughs) and uh, you know, just keep keep making things. And, you know, as I always say at the end of each episode, to stop waiting and start creating and working on your own special projects. So I'd like to now introduce today's episode about diversity. And I was really surprised by the direction this interview took because we didn't talk about diversity from the lens of race or religion or, you know, man, woman, age, all the things that we typically think about when we think of diversity. We talked about it from different experiences. And I love the way Amy frames everything. And she makes it feel so human. And it just takes a lot of the pressure off. And it takes a lot of the extra ick, you know, out of the conversation and just makes it really real. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope you get something from it. And I hope you take a step to maybe expand your own worldview and expand your mind about what is possible. So without further ado, my interview with Amy Weininger. Okay, welcome everybody to the Claim the Stage podcast. This is episode 99. Yeah. And I'm very excited about today's episode. And my guest, we are talking about making diversity a competitive advantage. And diversity is one of those words that has so many meanings. It can be so broad. And we're going to talk about what that word means and also how to make your diversity, your background, 
your experiences, who you are, and advantage. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my my guest, Amy Winninger, and she is a leader, a speaker, an author, and a coach. She is passionate about helping others achieve their full potential at work, and Amy is the founder and CEO of Lead at Any Level LLC, which helps busy professionals develop skills in leadership, diversity and inclusion, and career management. She's the author of Network Beyond Bias, Making Diversity a Competitive Advantage for Your Career, and Amy holds two degrees from Indiana University and is a Proce Certified Change Practitioner. Her other credentials include several insurance industry designations and a world's best mom coffee mug. What could be better than that? Before I introduce Amy, I want to say hi to everyone on Facebook who's watching today. If you have any questions for her, you can post them in the comment box and I will be sure to ask them before we are done. So Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. I'm really excited about this topic. This is a topic in our 99 episodes we've never touched on, and I'm I'm very excited. I mean, we've touched on it in some ways, but not focusing an entire episode on it. So before we jump into the, the topic, I want to know, how did you get into this kind of work? So this is something that I've been passionate about since I was a kid. And, you know, in college, when I first went to college, I was um, not at all prepared to go to college. Like I knew I had to go, but I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And sometimes I still don't, right? Like most of us. And I wanted to do something that was going to benefit the world and help the world. And so I found, you know, just kind of through different things, like I was doing uh, some diversity speakers bureaus where I would go to campus events and talk about diversity. And just through things like that, I decided that I was going to go into like civil rights law. Right. Well, I don't come from a wealthy background. In my senior year of college, I learned two very important things. The first was how much law school would actually cost. (laughs) And the second was the meaning of the phrase pro bono. And I decided that law school was not going to be for me for what I wanted to accomplish. And so I just kind of shelved those ambitions for a while. And I went back to school, got a computer science degree. And all through my degree, I kept hearing things like, wow, you're really analytical for a girl. And um, I, was a, I was a waitress at a restaurant, and I found that it, when people asked me, because it was in a college town, and everybody just assumed that you were in school if you waited tables, and so people would say, oh, well, what are you going to school for? And if I said computer science, two things would happen. Number one, they would say, oh, you should really go into nursing or education. And the second thing that would happen was I got really lousy tips. So I started telling people I was going into nursing or education so that I would get better tips because that was more in line with their expectation. So fast forward almost 20 years in my career, and I learned that, hey, you can do the kind of work that I'm really passionate about and get paid for it. And so I set about trying to figure out how to make that happen. And Um, For me, that was to research and blog and speak and write a book. And um, I'm also going to school to get my MBA in human resource management so that I can take a different career path at some point. Um, But for me now, this is kind of how I got on this path, if that helps. Yeah, absolutely. So today we're talking about how to amplify and use diversity as a benefit. Before we move forward, I want to ask, how do you define diversity? So diversity is how we're all different. And in the book I go into, you know, we form our self-image 
around how we experience the world, right? So if you grow up and you're really good at sports and you're strong and you're quick and you've got great coordination and, you know, you experience the world differently from someone who, you know, maybe doesn't have depth perception like I don't and, you know, who or who is maybe like really geeky about math or, you know, some other thing, right? So we, we kind of form our self-identity or self-image around these experiences that we have of the world. And we all experience the world differently. Then we start to look at other people and we start to measure them based on our own self-image. So we're all doing this all the time. And diversity is just all the ways those different components of who we are form who we are and how those pieces maybe are different in different combinations, different chemical reactions, different recipes, you know, of what's in me versus what's in you and, and our life experiences. I love that you just described that without using the words race or religion, you know, or poly, or any kind of political affiliation. It's more like, it's just your experiences. It's, it's about all these little pieces. I love that you use the word recipe too. It, it kind of mm-hmm. takes it out of context in the way that we normally talk about it. So how do you use diversity as a benefit? Sure. So going back to the recipe analogy, if I may, have you ever heard the story of stone soup? No. Okay. So there's a folk tale about stone soup and it's about, you know, this traveler wanders into town and he builds a fire and he, he pulls a, you know, like a pot out of his bag and he puts the, the pot on the fire and he puts water in the pot and he sits and he waits. And then when the water starts boiling, he takes a rock out of his bag and he puts the rock, the stone down in the bottom of the, of the pot. And by this point, the townspeople are kind of curious, like, what's this guy doing? And so finally, someone goes and asks him what he's doing. And he says, oh, I'm making stone soup. Have you ever had it? And the, and the child says, no, I've never had stone soup. What, what is it? And, oh, it's wonderful. It's the best soup you'll ever have. And so the kid sits there, talks to him for a little bit. And after a while, you know, the traveler takes a spoon out and tastes the soup. And he kind of thinks on it for a little bit. And the, and the child says, well, how is it? He goes, well, you know, it's pretty good. It just needs some carrots. And so the little boy runs home and gets carrots and brings them back. And pretty soon everybody in the town has contributed carrots and onions and celery and whatever they need, you know, whatever. It just needs a little bit extra, right? And by the end of the meal, they have this sense of community and they have this delicious soup. And so... I think diversity, the advantage of diversity is you have some ingredient that no one else has. And if you can bring that in a way that spices up the conversation or that, um, you know, that adds a flavor that was missing, that maybe people didn't even know was missing, then you've made a contribution that no one else can make. I love this. Okay. How do you know what that special ingredient is? Well, you talk to people and you find out. What do you, what do you ask? <laughs> <laughs> so what I did when I was first starting my business, I did a, a brand survey and this was the least scientific thing I could possibly do, right? I put together a, I think it was a survey monkey. And I asked everybody in my network, go fill this thing out. Cause I just wanted to see what I would get. And so I asked things like, what do you think are my strengths? What words come to mind when you think of me? Um, If you were looking for help, what would you come to me to help you with? 
right? Like I just wanted to get at how did people see me? What was my differentiating factor? And it was funny because there were these things in myself that I had kind of been tamping down because I had learned at a very young age to kind of squelch them, right? Going back to the, oh, I'm not in computer science, right? I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to teach first grade, right? When I grow up, right? And so one of the things, this is, I don't like talking about this, so I'll talk about it anyway. One of the things that came up time and time again was people who knew me all through my career, they're like, you're so smart. And I had been trying to downplay, downplay, downplay my intelligence for years because I didn't, I had been told before that I was intimidating or that it was off-putting and I had to come up with, I had to find a way to do that. That was genuine for me and not pushing people away, but I started to embrace that. And it was who, you know, it was who people saw me as anyway. So I could just be, I had permission to be more of that. Oh, and how did you feel when you allowed yourself to be more of yourself? I felt really free, Hmm. really free. And I felt like, you know, if, if there are five things that you do really well, and I don't know if you've ever taken the Strengths Finder. Yeah. Um, I love Strengths Finder. If you're listening to this, go buy Strengths Finder 2.0. <laughs> it's a book and you can get it anywhere and it's fantastic. Yeah. But it tells you like these are the things that energize you, these are the things that make you who you are. This is how you how you receive the world and how you process the world and how you can do great things in it. And if you're always doing the things that you're best at, you're gonna be more productive than you could ever be otherwise. And so, yeah, go ahead. How do we incorporate our special ingredients into our presentations as speakers when we're in front of people? How does that come across? So I think it's about telling stories about who you are and how and why you're that way. Right. I had a I had a professor in college. and I, I don't know if I'll ever really understand what she meant, but she asked me one time. She pulled me aside. And she said, I just want to ask you, have you always been like this? And I, I still to this day don't know what that meant. Right? <laughs> yeah. If if you are the way you are, you don't know how that is. <laughs> it's just what you know. Yeah. Right. You don't know you're wet if you're always in water, right? And I, I said, I don't know what you mean. And she said, Well, my daughter's kind of like you, and I'm just wondering if she's always going to be like you. And I just don't know if it was a compliment or what. Right? Like, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> And I didn't have the presence of mind at the time to kind of dive into it. But I think about that conversation a lot because I think, well, have I always been like this? What are the common themes throughout my life? Right. And one of those themes is, you know, like going back to, you know, like in high school. Oh, wow. Your math scores are really good for a girl. You're, you know, you're really analytical for a girl. And then when I got into um, management, you know, people said, well, you know, um, I was young and I was promoted over some peers and, and people were like, well, I think you're too young to be a manager. And I lost some people off the team because of that. And, you know, so there were always these things about me that were always, you know, they were always true. And I've learned to tell those stories in a way that's reflective of my lived experience in that difference. So what did that mean for me? Yeah. How did, how, how have you seen that? impact your audience or what changes have taken place since putting those stories into your presentations when you're networking, meeting people? Well, I think it, I think there's a difference between a, like a a loose connection with someone and a real genuine connection. And I think we only get a genuine connection with people when we share something about ourselves that's personal and true and authentic. 
And so, you know, I don't like open up right <laughs> when I meet somebody and I'm like, hi, I'm Amy. And you know, here's all my deepest, darkest secrets. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I think when you ask people, you know, and, and I know we're going to get to the audience piece of this in a minute, but I think when you ask people things about themselves, you know, where are you from? What do you like to do? Um, tell me about your family. One of my favorite questions is tell me about an experience from your childhood that left an impression on you or that, you know, really that is indicative of your values. Like when you talk about these things that are at your core, people understand who you are and where you come from and it starts to build trust. So I tell stories from my childhood. I tell a lot of stories about my children and how much I've grown up watching them. And it creates a human connection that then, you know, builds a longer term relationship than just in the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And storytelling has been a big theme on my podcast because we're always talking about public speaking and the importance of sharing yourself. And that goes for one-on-one and also in front of large audiences. So getting to the audience piece, how do we deal with audiences who may have a completely different experience than, than ourselves or, you know, they've, they've walked a totally different path. How do we connect our stories with theirs? Sure. So going back to the, to the stone soup, right? You're showing up with carrots and nobody else has carrots today. So you're adding carrots, right? You're adding a perspective. You can't go into it with a mindset of you're going to change people's minds or you're going to unseat beliefs that they have or anything like that. You're just adding your perspective. At the same time, you have to be willing to let other people add their perspective to your soup. So if you're, you know, rule number one of speaking is know your audience. So if you're walking in completely cold and you have no idea if you're talking to accountants or hairdressers or, you know, the NAACP, right? Like there's like a lot of variation in the kind of audience that you can walk into. And so always do your research up front. Talk to people, not just the organizers of the event. But if you can talk to people who've been to the event before people who, you know, have have expectations are going to be in the audience about what are they expecting? What is their experience? And then if you can use a little bit of flavor from your audience members in your talk, it lets the audience know that you really do care about them. So, you know, if Carol is in your audience and you know her because you were talking to her before, and you can get a small story or you find out where she went to school and what that meant to her, or why she was there or how she got into the field. You know, you can share that as part of your talk. You can kind of weave that in. And then you do know your audience and you find common ground and they're not that different from you after all. Mm-hmm. What kinds of mistakes do you see speakers make when it comes to sharing stories and trying to do things to differentiate themselves from other speakers? I think trying to be too shocking is it it just doesn't sit well with me. Um, And I've made that mistake, right? I've tried to, to like bombshell, you know, some story or whatever, and it just doesn't work, right? It has to be natural. You have to be comfortable telling the story. If you're uncomfortable, your audience gets very uncomfortable quickly. Yeah. So I think you have to be authentic, right? If it's not honest, leave it out. Hmm. If it's not, um, if it's not meaningful to you, leave it out. And if it's not comfortable for you, leave it out. 
Yeah, I think what you're saying is don't do things because you think you're supposed to do them or because you see other speakers do them. Do what feels right for you, what matters to you, what's important to you. And then that comes across, right? Yeah. What kinds of results can people hope to achieve or see by following your advice and incorporating their special ingredients? Sure. So I think one, you know, we tend to ignore certain perspectives in our networks, in our own lived experience, right? We tend to congregate with people that are just like ourselves. We tend to share stories and meals and friendship circles with people who are just like ourselves. And I think the more open you can be to sharing your experience with your personal experience with more people and the more you can draw on their experiences the more commonalities you can find and you can expand that circle to include more people who maybe before you didn't think you had a lot in common with. And so if I can plug the book for just a second, one of the things that I go into in the book is the five critical connections you need for your career. I call it your champ network and it's the people that you choose to have in your network. But then I take that a little bit further and talk about what are the dimensions of those people that are different from you and how do you, seek out that difference so that instead of making your world smaller and smaller and smaller by reinforcing your identity with people that are just like you and sharing experiences that already fit into your understanding of who you are and, you know, only doing things that are, um, you know, that just keep feeding on themselves, right? We make our worlds smaller and smaller and smaller and more compact. And what I'd like to inspire people to do is to reach out to people who are different, to say yes to something they wouldn't normally say yes to, to have an experience that maybe challenges their beliefs or, you know, go somewhere where you've never been and do something you've never done and do it alone, because that requires you to kind of watch other people and see what the norms are. You know, if you've never been to, you know, if you go to a, a, a worship service that's outside of your own religion, for example. That is, a, that is a whole culture unto itself, right? If you visit a foreign country or you go to a part of town maybe that, you know, has a certain, um, you know, like a certain ethnic enclave and, you know, and the culture is just a little bit different and the food's a little bit different and, you know, you have to interact with people in just a little bit different way. It makes your world just a little bit bigger and it makes your soup just a little bit richer. Yeah. Can you share a story of someone who has used diversity as a competitive advantage? Oh, there are so many examples of this. This is what <laughs> I love about the diversity and inclusion space. So I'll tell you about one of my favorite books. It's a book called Covering, and it's by a gentleman named Kenji Yoshino. And in the book, he talks about, I'm sorry, I know you want to talk about speakers, but I, I really want to talk about this book for just a second. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> he talks about his experience. He's a Japanese-American. And he talks about his experience of when he visited Japan as a child, being too American for Japan. And when he taught, when he was in America, he was too Japanese for America. And then he went to college and he, he realized that he was gay and he had a really hard time accepting that because of his, you know, his cultural upbringing and his family upbringing. And he, he kind of used all of this experience then to become a legal scholar and really put himself in a place that nobody else could have been because they didn't have that experience of otherness the way he had it. 
Mm. And I see a lot of examples of that. And, you know, the more you get out and talk to, to speakers and people who write books, you'll find that I was talking to a gentleman in North Carolina earlier this year, and he had, his story was all about playing college football. And, you know, that was his keynote was about, and it wasn't like, you wouldn't think, well, that's not that big a deal, right? A lot of people play college football, but he had arms that were about half the length of you know, what you would expect his arms to be. And his hands were, were shaped differently than most people's hands are shaped. And he played college football. So his story was all about, you know, yeah, he was different, but, you know, he went to college on a football scholarship. Mm -hmm. I often tell the story about uh, being shy growing up and attributing that to being tall. And when I share the story in my speeches, I, I, t I talk about being bullied in high school and feeling different and feeling like I didn't belong. And a lot of people in the audience will be nodding along with me and they're not necessarily tall, but they know what it was like to be bullied and they know what it was like to feel different. And so we're connecting on that same feeling of devastation or shame or disconnection through just having that that shared experience for different reasons, which I think is really cool. So I want to hear more about your book. If you could give just one piece of advice from your book today, what would you tell the audience to do? Figure out who's, who's not in your network and then go find them and add them. Hmm. Where should you start though? I mean, I love your advice to go, go to a place that you wouldn't normally go, go by yourself, try to observe, try to understand, but where do you start? Cause there's so many places to go. <laughs> so if you're really afraid, like, so let's say, let's say you're like totally introverted and you, you really struggle with the idea of getting out of your comfort zone and doing something different. I would say, start with a good book, read a book that's from a completely different perspective that's about someone from another country or that's, you know, the, the memoirs of someone who just has radically different um, experiences than you have. And that's not enough though. You don't just read the book. Think about it. Think about why does the character make the decisions they make? Think about, you know, how could, like if you go read the reviews on Amazon or you review the book on Amazon, right? How is your experience of that book different from other people's experience? What are the things in the in the story that you find surprising relate surprisingly relatable? What are the things that you that make you uncomfortable? Right? Because that's all in your own headspace and you don't have to admit that to anyone. Yeah. And that's a really good place to start. And then, you know, you can graduate to bigger things like actually talking to people who are different and you know, sit in a room, go to the conference that's not for you. That's one of my favorites. Mm. If if you're, you know, if you're a man, go to a women's conference. If you are a white person, go to a conference for people of color in your industry. Sit and listen to how different groups of people talk about the issues that affect them and listen as though you're not in the room. Yeah. Right? I love that. I got to speak at a, a women in engineering conference last year and okay. Even though I'm a woman, I have a totally different experience in the world than women in engineering. <laughs> I, I sat through so many sessions and I thought, I had no idea what this world was like and the challenges they have and the topics that they really focus on. And you're right. It's so 
mind-opening and you leave with such a different perspective, not only about them, but also about yourself and about your own challenges. So I love that advice. Is there anything else you'd like to share on the topic of diversity that we didn't hit on that you want to make sure we really get to today? Sure. So I think you know the, the most important part of diversity for me is being inclusive. And what that means is treating other people the way they want to be treated. And so it's not enough to be in the room with people who are different. You have to really engage them and talk to them and understand who they are and understand them from their own perspective, not from your perspective. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Ask about their stories, ask about their experiences and don't question or challenge their stories or experiences. You know, at the end of, at the end, wow, thank you for sharing that with me. And that's all you have to say. And it goes a long way. Yeah. I love how thoughtful you are. I really, (laughs) I love it. So let's jump into the lightning round. And I want to remind everyone watching on Facebook right now, if you have a question, you have a couple more minutes to submit it in the comment box. And I will make sure to ask Amy before we are done. So question number one, if you were given an extra $100 per week, what would you do with it? I would pay someone to post all of my stuff on social media because my (laughs) thumbs are getting tired. I love asking this question to business owners because it's usually something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'd hired an admin. (laughs) Number two, what is your favorite word and what does it taste like? So I knew you were going to ask this question because I've listened to your podcast before (laughs) and I struggled with this for weeks and I even asked my kids and they looked at me like I was crazy. I have one word and it has two flavors. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So the word is ideas and ideas when I'm executing on them, when I'm bringing them to life, taste like pop rocks, Mm. right? It's like pow, 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 pow. And it's sweet and it's exciting. And it's like, it's fun, right? Ideas that I can't take action on that are just sitting there or ideas that maybe I'm trying to implement for someone else. And I'm told, no, not right now. Go away. We don't, we're not ready. Don't do this. Those have more of a sour flavor. Mm. Are those like Sour Patch Kids? or? No, they're not that good. Okay. <laughs> more like sour milk. Oh, yikes. <laughs> okay, yeah. that can Ideas could be either extreme then. Yeah. And number three, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? To me, claiming the stage means walking up and stepping right into what I'm there to do. And doing it unapologetically and, you know, with the confidence that, that people want to see when you're up there. Because if, if you're not comfortable up there, no one in your audience will be there. Yeah. So tell us more about your book and who it's for, what it's about, and where we can get it. Sure. Thank you. So my book is Network Beyond Bias, Making Diversity a Competitive Advantage for Your Career. And this book is for, I would say, anyone who either wants to grow their career or grow their business through intentional networking. It's not for people who want to keep making the world smaller. It's for people who want to expand their reach, expand their experiences. Um, Let's see. And then where can you get it? You can get it at networkbeyondbias.com. I sell signed copies, regular paperback copies there. And it's also available for bulk order if you want copies for your organization. And then um, it's also available on Amazon or, you know, purchase from any bookstore. Um, You may have to special order it, but. 
Cool. I also want to add for everyone listening who is not able to see Amy on Facebook right now, she is wearing a pin that says, ask me about my book, which is so brilliant. Every author, including myself, should wear a pin like that. I've never even thought to do that. And like she said, she just got that and she was already kind of selling a book to somebody who on the first day said, what is your book? And then wanted to buy it. So very cool. I love what you're doing. And it's such important work, not just for networking, not just for business, but for life to, in, to really understand others and try to see it from their perspective and then to also grow from each other's stories and experiences. We are all in the stone soup together. <laughs> we are. So thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Angela. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My final episode of the first half of 2018, episode 99. So exciting to say. (laughs) All right. If you have any ideas for upcoming episodes, when I do come back in September, please feel free to email me at Angela at speakersisterhood.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I'm always up for feedback and comments and anything you want to share. So thanks so much for listening and being part of this journey. And I hope you're getting a lot from what we're sharing here. Be sure to share a review and rating on iTunes. If you like what you hear, we'd love to get the show out to more people. So that does it for me, you guys. I can't wait to talk to you again in a couple of months. And in the meantime, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.